Have you heard that benzodiazepines increase the risk of dementia? Has this worried you? If you said yes to these two questions, this episode of Heart Online is for you. What a change had been so profound that I looked full at the problem in the face. Like, okay, insomnia, do your worst. I'm not running from you. I'm not going to be scared. It's just something that's just so simple. Like the truth. The truth has to be simple. Otherwise, it's not the truth. I was so trapped in my head before. When I say my whole life changed, like my whole life changed. I'm Coach Daniel, and this is the Sleep Coach School. We're going to look at a study that really frazzled a member of the community, which, which is Lynn. And Lynn sent me a link to a study we're going to look at today, and I hope it will be really helpful for you. As I was looking at this link from Lynn, I was like, hmm, this sounds so familiar to me. And I realized we had actually reviewed a very similar article not that long ago, about six months ago, we had heard online number 42, where we looked at sleeping pills and dementia. What I conclude is going to be actually quite similar, but you might want to check out that one too, because that one I think was more on like sleeping pills, uh, you know, like Z drugs and stuff like that versus today's, which is really on benzodiazepines. But anyway, let's take a look. So Liz sent me an email and uh, there was a link to the following website. It is a blog article from Sleep Reset. And for those of you not familiar, Sleep Reset is like a CBTI based app uh, for Android and Apple. Now, this was published in October of 2022, and the title is Sleeping Pill and Sleep Aids, Risks and Side Effects. And if we scroll down a little bit, we see what Lynn saw, and she saw, saw this. One study found that people over 65 who took benzodiazepines had a 32% increased risk of developing dementia, which of course can sound quite scary. So I clicked on this link, and that took me to Harvard Health Publishing, and th this is also a blog, actually. And when I clicked the link here, that took me finally to the study itself. And I want to show you that, of course. Take it with this one. And the link to the actual study is right here. So this is from BMG, from the British Medical Journal. And the title is Benzodiazepine Use and Risk of Alzheimer's Disease, a Case Console Study. This is from 2014. So what, you know, what was the study about? I read it through a few times and um, this is sort of like, I'm going to present uh, the, I would try to present this in a, in a digestible way. So this is a group from, from Quebec, Canada, where they have like a, you know, kind of solid public health registry where uh, diagnoses are entered in this registry as well as somebody's taking a drug or not. And so they identify almost to that was, let's say 1800 people that were above 66 uh, years of age in their database in Quebec. These were, you know, they identified about 1,800 people who were diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and they matched them with controls. And what does this mean? Well, you look into a big database and they say, hey, database, how many people over 66 were diagnosed with dementia this year? And it says like at least many people. And then what they also wanted to see was if they had follow-up, you know, prior to diagnosis, meaning like they, they had data on these people's health from uh, six years or more before the diagnosis. And they found in, in, in about 800 people that they had, they had well, they knew what happened before they were diagnosed six or more years in advance. And then they matched them. So they said, okay, let's take another bunch of people that are very similar that we also have data on, but who did not have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. So we can compare these. This is how they did the study. 
what they found was the following. Like when they looked at the use of benzodiazepines in, in like five to 10 years before the diagnosis in the subjects that did get the diagnosis controls, they found the following that long-term benzodiazepine use were different. Like, so in the people that eventually were diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, the usage was about 33%. And in, in the people who were not, it was 22%. So it, it is not like a striking, like huge difference, but you know, it's, it was clearly significant and there is some difference there. And, and this to me is like, this is kind of the real question. Like, why is there a difference? Why is there a difference between these two groups? And now the authors are basically saying that we can't prove this, but maybe, maybe the benzodiazepines are the reason that pe these people eventually got uh, Alzheimer's disease, you know? And that's kind of their, the, their case. But, you know, we have to remember that causation and association are two completely different things. And I'm actually going to use the same analogy I did with, in, uh, heard in, uh, in line 42, which was that if, if you confuse the two, you, you can make the case that, oh, insulin seems to cause diabetes because, you know, really pretty much everyone who has diabetes is on insulin, you know? But of course it's not the case. It's that, that when you have diabetes, you, you need insulin, right? So this just shows that causations and association are like two completely different things. So the reason I think it is not surprising that more benzodiazepines were prescribed in the group that eventually was diagnosed with Alzheimer's is quite easy to see, or it can be very easily explained in my humble opinion. And the authors actually do tell us about this as well. So firstly, they say that their study is limited because they claims databases without direct access to patients. So these researchers in the article that we're looking at, they didn't send out questionnaires or, or talk to patients or, or, or their near and dear or anyone else like that. They were simply looking at a big database, right? So that gives you a sense of what type of study it is. It's kind of just like crunching numbers. Now, here's where it gets interesting to me. They say, we cannot rule out alternative hypotheses, like, you know, alternatives to the one where benzodiazepines cause Alzheimer's disease or increase the risk of it by itself. They say, for example, anxiety and sleep disorders, two of the main indications for benzodiazepines could be associated with early beta amyloid lesions in the brain. In other words, you can have, you know, pre, like even before there are dementia symptoms, there can be other what they call preclinical symptoms of dementia, like sleep disruption, like agitation, like anxiety, that indicate benzodiazepines, that benzodiazepines are prescribed for. And so I think this is, you know, to me, this will be like, aha, this could explain a lot. And in fact, I did a little search and I want to share what I found from a website that, you know, it's called... Uh, here, um, Altoida. I, I, I will say I don't know, know much about it, but I think you know, this this kind of aligned with what I was thinking. So I will share what they said in in their uh, article here. They say beta amyloid proteins begin to collect in the brains of those with Alzheimer's disease as early as twenty years before symptom onset, and that in itself is probably just an you know an estimation. Nobody probably really knows how early this process starts, but we know that it's often decades ahead of the diagnosis, right? And then they say, like, what are what are kind of the early symptoms that, uh, you know, we can see long before a diagnosis of Alzheimer's is made? Well, losing or misplacing things, forgetting important events, losing your train of thought, difficulty with decision making. But look at this. Changes in judgment and impulse control, changes in mood, anxiety, irritability. 
And if you look in a group of people in their 60s or like late 50s, you know, what are the likely things that are done when somebody says, I feel like agitated, I'm irritable, I feel anxious? Very likely you're going to be prescribed a benzodiazepine. So to me, again, correlation is not causation. And I think it is, you can very easily see that, you know, you can have early, like very mild, subtle symptoms of what actually is in the Alzheimer's disease, you know, process that isn't diagnosed yet, you know, and, and you're prescribed these medications. And that's why there is an association between the two. So to me, this is, it puts this study in the same category as so, 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 so many other studies where you see that your health somehow affects your sleep and not the other way around. And now to me, you know, I want to add one more thing and it's kind of like, why, what do I think this matters? Why it's this important to talk about? Well, firstly is this one that when we are pressured to come up with medication for sleep, we are indirectly pressured to sleep and we have trouble sleeping. And I see this very often as somebody who says like, I have to start sleeping well because I don't want to take this medication. You know, some people are, are kind of surprised and they say like, Hey, Daniel, you talk so much about like, you know, the inner journey, taking a, a deep look inside. They, they might expect me to be sort of like anti-medication. But what I always teach is that if you somehow portray sleeping pills as like dangerous or harmful, you're indirectly pressuring somebody to sleep, which we know creates trouble sleeping. Why would you want to do that when you have no reason to do so? And similarly, when we think we're damaging our health, we worry and naturally we have trouble sleeping. What I always think when I read these articles like that, blog articles, blog articles and the and the actual research articles themselves is that we cannot be scared into peaceful mind and peaceful sleep. Like nobody can scare us so that we then sleep well. It is just impossible. And it's just unfortunate when there is, to me, no reason to scare people at all. On the other hand, when we are no longer scared, then what we want, peaceful sleep and peace of mind happens by itself. And that's, of course, why I'm here. I'm teaching and I, I this is what I hope for you. So please let me know, as always, what your thoughts about the um, this video, about uh, studies like this, any questions, concerns, you know, just put them in the comment section. And uh, as always, if you're finding that you are on the path where you want to be to peaceful sleep and peace, peace of mind, that is wonderful. And please share it with us. But if you find yourself in a place where you're not really seeing the, the path out of the struggle, you're feeling maybe isolated, not like yourself, you, you're not really seeing what the next step is for you, then please head over to thesleepcoachschool.com. Check out our coaching options. If you decide to join us, we look forward to seeing you on the other side. That was all for today. Look forward to having you back real soon. Bye for now. That was all for today. I hope you found this episode really eye-opening. And if you're looking for something more tangible, then head over to our website, thesleepcoachschool.com. You'll find several coaching options where our teachings can be contextualized for you personally. If you decide to join, we look forward to seeing you on the other side.